Thanks for checking out We Got No podcast episode number four with bassist Eric Flexer Head and guitarist Sean Lanny and Seminole 1990s Vancouver Hardcore Powerhouse Strain to talk about their formation, their history, tour stories, as well as remembering vocalist Jody Taylor who died in a tragic workplace accident in 2016. Strain is one of my favorite bands. I was lucky enough to have seen them many times from their start in the early 90s all the way through to their final shows in the early 2000s. The influence and impact Strain have had and still have on the Vancouver Hardcore scene as well as the whole Northwest Hardcore scene is completely immeasurable. We hope you enjoy. All right, guys, thanks for coming on. And what have you both been up to during COVID? Eric, would you like to go first? No, I think I'd like you to go first, Sean. Hmm. Well, right before COVID, I started doing a new band with some guys and that stopped. So I wasn't doing that. I wasn't doing much. And then some of my work stopped and then it started again. So I've been really actually busy with work and writing songs for uh, uh, a Thread record. That's kind of all I've been doing. Yeah. Find some stuff to record at home, which I just haven't had time to do much of that, but I have stuff for it. For sure. But you want, you want to talk about this new band you had going on? Uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens with it. It's uh, like a, a heavier hardcore band, but we'll see uh, if, it, if it gets going again. Hopefully, then yeah, then, then I'll definitely talk about it then. Cool. Okay. And how about you, Eric? I mean, I haven't. I I don't do anything that's exciting, interesting, or, or particularly like punk rock. Like my life is pretty much um, <laughs> just. I'm just like boring middle-aged dude now. Um, listen to music. I, I still physically buy music, but I, 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 I don't buy hardcore. I'm not into hardcore. I, I'd say that, yeah, from as far as like getting scene points, uh, my scene points are like in the negative. I'm really like an uncool dude in my middle-aged life. Yeah, it's, I, I can say that for the last year, I've done nothing like, like worth talking about basically. I bought some, I bought some CDs. I bought a camera, right? Like it's nothing that's, that's exciting or important and certainly not creative in any way. You have grown your hair. I mean, you got to take credit for that. Yeah. Yeah. I was for a while I was going for like Beatles 1965, but I think I'm, my hair is growing and I'm probably in like, 1967 small faces now and that's that's good because good call. I'm, I'm way i'm way down with that yes let's get to strain so how and when did the band form how did it all come together I'll let eric answer this because my recollection of most things as you'll hear toward like throughout this interview are sparse and i'm not <laughs> sure if this this story in my head is the correct one so let's go go with Eric first. Well, I think I think the story in your head is probably more correct than mine is because I really don't remember the very beginning of Strain. I, I'm imagining that um, I, I know Jody approached me. He's he's the one that that came up to me and said, "Hey, we're starting a, a hardcore band like Undertow, and we'd like you to play bass. Would you be interested in playing bass?" And at that point in time, like today, I was a little bit, a little bit um, separated from the hardcore scene. I was still doing the radio program. I was still listening to it, but I was really a lot more into racing bikes at that point in time. And 
I, I, with the previous band I'd been in, walking away from that, I kind of felt like that was, I'd done what I needed to do and I, and I wasn't going to do a band again. But Jody came along and being Jody, I, I said, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll give it a try. And I'm, and I'm trying to remember, Sean, I know it was definitely at your parents' house in North Van in, in the basement. Yeah. I'm imagining that the first time I, I came out to try doing Strain with you guys, that I must have borrowed something that you had there because I, I, I didn't have any bass gear. I, I didn't even have guitar stuff anymore at that point in time. It was, you know, it was my house was full of bikes. I had four bikes at the time. I was fully into racing and uh, I must have borrowed something. And then following that first time that we got together, it, it just really gelled and I, I think when we got together the next week, I, I had a bass and I had a Trace Elliott bass rig to, to play it through. So worked out well. When I go back and, and listen to that, to those, the first demo we did, it's, it's, it's cringeworthy. I know Sean's saying, oh yeah, you were doing some cool stuff with your bass. And I'm just thinking, man, I, I don't know how to play today. And I definitely didn't know how to play at that point in time. But thanks for the compliment, Sean. Yeah, that, that sounds about right. I mean, from your angle, and I think I might have had bass stuff still at that point. I didn't have much though for you to come by and just jam. But yeah, I just I remember uh, doing a band with Jody and our friend Sean Keen and my friend Ben Cherry, and we we're doing a little bit more of a hardcore band, and it was called Cement. And from there, I guess Jody and I, you know, decided to try something else and tried to recruit some of the the stars of the Vancouver hardcore scene at the time. And uh, we just got Eric instead. No, I'm just joking. Mm. Um, yeah, so we got Eric and Jenks and Kim. And yeah, we wanted to put together kind of a, a band of guys we respected and knew. Uh, and <clears throat> we're very close to the same age as all these guys, but they were our, our elders at the time. So so it was cool to be in a band with, with these guys. An all-star band for sure definitely so you mentioned that jody said you wanted to do a band like undertow always wondered myself what were your other influences and sean i'm imagining you were writing from the beginning the majority of the stuff yeah yeah what other than undertow is obvious right you can the beginning you can definitely hear that what else what else was yeah. driving you to, to write these this style yeah so i guess like in the beginning undertow was an influence i think a lot of that was because of realizing they were the same age as me, like when I was quite young and they were doing Refuse and I was like, oh, these guys are doing this. And then I would see them, I went down and saw Undertow and saw them come up here with Shelter and stuff and I, I liked them. And then I, I really liked them once uh, John joined the band. And so they're, they're just the band we saw a lot. I don't, yeah, I guess like in the beginning, they're more of an influence. I think influences kind of went away as the records went on, but yeah, they're an influence Inside Out, even though you don't hear it really in the music, probably was a huge influence uh, yeah. after seeing them live. Um, Integrity was an influence, which is probably fairly obvious on some of the earlier things or the middle things. I would say, like there now, I think Integrity was a little bit of an influence. And then I guess just like even like I think just probably just anything we listened to back then, like anything we we're kind of passionate about. Youth of Today was an influence for me, even though nothing. I've written sounds like you. Right, I think, right. I think as we as we were writing, 
and developing as musicians. I think like for me, it was, it was really just trying to find my own voice within that. Like, you know, like I, I really, every, every band I've done, there's definitely like influences, but never like tried to try to try to just create my own style. Um, yeah. Yeah. Just trying to, just trying to, create a style with you know there's obviously everybody's going to have influences of some sort but definitely wasn't like okay i want to create a band that sounds like this band this band and this band crossed it was more like yeah i like these bands and and this is kind of the the emotion i want to get through on my instrument and these are the types of songs i want to write yeah, yeah no. I would, oh sorry go ahead yeah i was going to say i i don't necessarily think that undertow wasn't was a huge musical influence I, to a degree but i think it was more an influence in the way that because they existed, they inspired Sean and Jody in particular. And as we got together and started getting better and playing shows and spending time in Seattle, I think they were an influence as friends and peers, as a band that we would play with, that they were guys that we would hang out with and play shows with. So undertow musically as an influence it's it's much a smaller much smaller piece than undertow the phenomenon as as an influence for sure okay and was there's definitely got to give you guys definitely credit there i mean i can still remember hearing your guys first demo tape when i didn't even know who that who you guys who who's even in the band and there's nothing like at that time i'd never heard anything like you guys so i remember reading one review somewhere i can't remember a zine from california or something saying that you guys sounded like downcast just and we didn't because of sound that, like downcast <laughs> no no like what are the, sim- the similarities there you're you know both hardcore bands that can I don't know. I guess you use the ch- the chuggy e riff. I guess I don't know. Like I liked Downcast. Yeah, I did too. Yeah. For me, for me, I, I I have no musical influences apart from playing with Sean and and later with John. Those guys are my personal musical influences. Like as a player, I'm really I'm really like connecting with them. I I'm not really somebody who plays to other people's music. I'm not a musician. I'm Strain's bass player. I play Strain songs and that's pretty much it. Um, so those guys are my, they're my influences. Okay, cool. I would say, I'd say for me, like on that, on that note too, like I, I learned how to play guitar by watching Jinx play at practice when I was playing bass with, with him in the pre BNU band. And I would just watch his fingers and kind of say, Oh, I really want to try that. And I would go home and try, I had a guitar at home and I would try what he was doing. No, that's a that's a cool cool take on on learning for sure. So the the pre BNU band, as I know, was on right. It was tentatively called tentatively called on, but it never, okay. it never yeah it never transpired. And then Ben, I don't know what happened to Ben, who was playing drums. I mean, he I know what happened to him. He was in a band rendered useless, rendered useless. Um, but I don't know how he left. And then Garnet and um, Ben Hughes joined the band, and then that's when they started doing things. What do you guys remember about your first shows? I remember the very first show that we played. It was it 92 or 93, Sean. It must have been it was very very early and our first show was not in Vancouver. It was rather strangely in a barn somewhere east of Bellingham. It was dusty 
And, and really, that's all I remember. It was Dusty and Sean played with his back to the crowd. Not in Bellingham. Like, I think it was in a oh, town just... called, called Deming, which is probably, you know, 30 kilometers oh. east of Bellingham. Yeah, yeah. And it was really, it was really fully in a farm. Bill Baker's house was really like not very far from Bellis Fair Mall. So it was like right in the center of Bellingham. But yeah, this place was nothing like that not close. I remember crossing the border and telling them we were going to play a party at a barn and they were cool with that. Strangely, you know, like all the trouble that bands have crossing the border and we're like a bunch of kids who are just like, yeah, we're going to go play at a barn. No problem. Could get back, could get away with it back then. Yeah, for sure. Right. And not the last time you guys played in a barn. Is it the, how many times should we play in a barn? You played my place. That's what I was getting at. Right. Oh, right. <laughs> That's right. Didn't it, Not didn't technically a barn, barn, but yes. Yeah. 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 I had a barn. It was a one one car garage, technically, if you want to get technical. The Pit Meadows Hall show that you guys played, Bark Marker, it was face off with mine and Franco's band. And there was a bunch of other bands, Seaman and stuff. Was that like your guys' second show? I think that was, so. That was the original lineup still. I believe. Yes. Okay. And Jody played with a backpack the whole show. I remember that. <laughs> a backpack? A backpack. Yeah. I do remember that show, but I didn't realize it was that early on. Yeah, it's very early. I think it may have yeah. been our second show. Yeah, because was, like, we had probably our first show up here. Because we had played like two weeks previous our first show at the TR house in Maple Ridge that the 10 feet tall guys lived at. And that's where I met Jody. He gave me a bunch of strain stickers. It was like, Hey, I like your voice. I'm in a band called strain. Cool. That was again. Then we ended up, I think it was like a month later that show happening. So yeah, I was just wondering that was, um, that was cool. Oh, cool. Yeah. That's cool. So the original lineup was with Kim and Jinx and that was the first lineup that did the first demo. Yes. We had like a three song. It was a three song demo, I think. And that was in, I think that was in 92 where we recorded the demo. Yeah. Cause I want to say the shows, the shows were in late 92. It sounds right. Yeah, it's probably right. Okay. What did you guys do? Did you guys do your first West coast tour with that original lineup? We did. Eric, you go ahead. Yeah, we did it. We did a short blast up and down the coast with undertow. Uh, we played Sacramento, Santa Barbara, San Diego, just three shows. It, it was a blur. We had my friend Brent from SNFU drive us in SNFU's van, which was, I mean, I, I don't know why he agreed to that at, the, at that point in time, but I guess that's what friendship does, right? Friends, friends help out friends. And yeah, he was having fun. He had some downtime. So sure, let's go to California for a few days. Nice. Um, okay. My biggest memory from that is not the shows. My biggest memory from our first trip down the West Coast with Jinx and Kim in the band is that Jinx came on a three or four day, I guess it was about a four day trip to California with all of his worldly possessions packed into a pillowcase, like, like a hobo bag, man. Like that's Jinx, Jinx, full Jinx style. The guy is an oddball. How was the, um, obviously going back way pre-internet like this, what was your guys, what did you think of the shows down there? Like the difference in the scene, how did it differ from Vancouver, like Seattle or was it different from Seattle? You can go ahead, Sean, but I was going to say it was, it was nothing like Vancouver, but it was also nothing like Seattle. I mean, Sacramento was really strange and we played, you know, we played with unbroken in a, in a living room in San Diego. So that was, that was really strange too. Like every show we played on that first tour was strange. 
can say, Sean, do you remember anything from that, that those first three shows in California? Like, yeah. So I remember, I remember all of them actually. I remember Santa Barbara being, I remember we stayed at Kent McClard's house. Right. And yeah. I remember being stoked on that cause I was into a bunch of the stuff that was going on in that world. I remember eating burritos in Santa Barbara that were really good. And I remember, yeah, that house show, it was unbroken uh, struggle undertow strain. And I don't know if there's another band. Um, and I remember, I remember that being pretty cool. Cause that was, there was like a lot of kids there. I mean, the living, the living room was packed. I mean, does that mean there's a lot of kids at the living room? Anyway, yeah, but, yeah. It was but like a the lot windows of were open. Yeah. The windows were open and yeah. kids were watching on the patio, which was right. yeah. kind of surreal too. And I remember having dyed orange hair cause it was supposed to be blonde, but it didn't go that blonde wearing a, a ridiculous outfit that there is pictures of uh floating out there that uh some people <laughs> will bring up once in a while and uh it's pretty hilarious so if you can if you ever see those pictures anyway you can, you can check out that outfit but i won't describe it because <laughs> I, I, I might be i might be off but i've got right at the end i've saved for a question that might possibly correlate to what you're talking about very possibly um Sean was Sean was very stylish in 1993. I was there. As as was I with my with my dreadlocks. Well, hey, we can get it. We can get into that right now. Then, what did I have? <laughs> I said, "How about fashion regrets in the 90s, guys?" And I said, "Just for the record, I'm just as guilty as anybody else." So yeah, for me, yeah, my my whole life is basically a fashion regret. My my whole life is a history of bad hairstyles or no hairstyles of not dressing with the times or very well yeah i i was i was never cool i may have tried to be cool but i was never cool and i'm still not cool today and my hair today is equally as bad as it was in 1993 it's just differently bad we're where so we're yeah we're talking about the blue dreads as seen yeah, on, okay, the, the, on the, the first ep the blue dreads did not last for very long and on the ep they were actually oh, still that's right. still blonde so that's right. i i got this great idea i was doing a two or three week west coast tour with snfu maybe it was two weeks it wasn't really really long so it was about a two-week tour i still had the the dreadlocks and i thought hey I, i'm i don't have to a day job to go to or anything so i'm going to dye my hair red blue and purple and I'll look so cool when I go on tour roadieing for SNFU. And I looked in a mirror, maybe the second night of the tour at, in the hotel in Sacramento after the show and went, oh my God, man, what were you, what was I thinking? I looked like a clown. I looked like a fucking idiot. And so, yeah, the whole rest of the tour, I, I, I never took my hair out of a, a hat. It was all crumpled up underneath this baseball hat because I didn't want anyone to see my freak hair. I came back to Vancouver and the first thing I did was cut off my dreadlocks because I, yeah, clearly they needed to go, but it was followed by another terrible hair decision, which was to dye my hair black. And I looked like Mr. Spock. I, I, went from one idiot look directly into another idiot look i've never been cool unlike sean who well, oozes cool 
Eric Eric inspired Takashi Six Nine or whatever his name is. I'm sure <laughs> with, that, with that rainbow too he had. I no have all, all my uh, fashion sense and uh, yeah, all those years, especially in those early '90s, was terrible. Um, yeah, no, all, always always awful. I was like between, I don't even know what. Like yeah, like the outfit that I was speaking of was like jogging pants and a headband. And I mean, I don't know what the hell I was thinking there. I guess comfort. I think that's probably cool now. Um, I have no idea. Yeah, I have no idea. I don't know. Well, part of it, I'll tell you this though. I'll tell you this. So one thing that I always thought about like the punk rock world and any world, there is like a uniform. And while I was in this world, I didn't really want to wear the uniform. I was like, you know what? I'm going to be... I can wear whatever I want here in this world where everybody's kind of wearing the same thing. So I just did my thing. And it's probably some psychological issue I had that I want to stand out in a weird way. I did the same thing when I played hockey. I, I wore a different color socks than anybody else on my, like the, the external socks than anybody else on the team. I just, I don't know. I wanted to be different in any area I was in. And that's probably some sort of psychological thing I could break down one day, but not right now. And I think to a degree uh, I'm, equally guilty of that too because you know like maybe in the last year someone has someone shared photos of strain playing at the at a yale town street slash skate party yeah the yale town blockbuster with rancid and hey what am i thinking man i'm playing in bare feet like this was my like stance to tell people you may think I'm a hardcore dude, but I'm not a hardcore dude because look, I've got bare feet. <laughs> Didn't you X your feet at one one show? Yeah, I think when we played with Into Another, I I, I did the bare feet with X's on it. That was hard because I because I thought it was funny, but yeah, clearly there's something very mentally wrong <laughs> with somebody that does that. That's okay. It's all good, guys. Like I said, um. I don't know. I can't say, Eric, I know you go back way farther, farther back than either Sean or I. I've never been a punk and I've more come like where Sean comes from playing. I played sports, so I was never claimed to be a punk. I don't know if you did. Oh, uh, absolutely. Way, way back. Absolutely. I was absolutely a punk rock kid. Um, I, I mean, I hung out with the, the guys who were in Unnatural Silence. They were my, they were like my besties were, were the Unnatural Silence guys. So they were all like leather jackets studs and spikes and hair standing up and mohawks like yeah full on i was full fully into punk rock i never i never did their look but yeah i probably considered myself a punk rocker it's weird because at that point in time i probably was equally into discharge and conflict as i was into slayer creator and then rites of spring right so yeah i mean i'm 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 a kid and I, I think that in the when I first got into punk rock and hardcore, there was less kind of siloing of genres or sub subgenres. I, I was really I really didn't care what sort of style or or label you were you were tagged with. If I liked it, I liked it. And I think that's still sure. that's something that stands today. And it's something that really stood even through the strain years. And, and I think if I think about like the end of strain and, and post strain and, and what we accomplished. And one of the things that we kind of accomplished was that we built the foundation of a, of a real hardcore scene in Vancouver, which was very one dimensional. 
because where we came from when we started, the hardcore scene was not one dimensional. We didn't play with bands that sounded like Strain because there were no bands that exactly. really played the style of music that we played. So that's why you, you, we did shows with Drive Like Jehu and Unwound, and we played with The Offspring, and we played with SNFU, and we played with Brand New Unit, and we played with Smart, Spark Marker. We played with all these bands who they didn't sound like us. And I think that the scene was like stylistically rich because of that diversity for sure like i was talking about that that second show whatever you guys at pit, at pit meadows for me my recollection was that was kind of the end of it of genre splitting or the different kind of bands playing that's my recollection and that was around the time that green day broke um shortly after and then in my mind anyways it, that's kind of when the whole hardcore scene with spark marker bnu yourselves kind of started right like that was kind of broke away and then slowly got into which you know into more hardcore influenced by you guys bands which obviously you guys are a huge influence for everybody and i mean still to this day i don't know that's not a question more uh more a statement i guess like it was so cool and i've talked about this with kim on the the first podcast we did about that how it was the different kind of bands playing shows going into morphing into this hardcore, heavier hardcore scene, which at the time I thought was freaking great. But looking and back, I agree, I agree too. At like 97, when, when it really started like 96, 97, when it started to really like gel that there was, there was a scene for us that there were kids that were coming to see strain specifically absolutely. to see us. Like it, it felt really good. But then I, I think it was, it was more, after we were finished, I realized like what was missing and what was missing is that, yeah, you had great, you had great bills and great lineups and great bands in Vancouver, but you know, the difference between the differences between burden and blue Monday and go it alone were subtle. You guys, none of you guys sounded the same, but the differences were subtle. Whereas if you took the differences between strain and brand new unit, like, Totally. Yeah, we're both hardcore bands, but there's a huge stylistic gap between the two. So I really feel like something was lost, gained and lost at the same time. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I just want to thank you guys again. I'm sure you know it, but like, you know, you guys were, like you mentioned, you guys were seeing what you guys did and knowing you guys influenced Burden on wanting to, we, maybe we can do that too. And we did even though we don't sound a hell of a lot like strain, I thought, I mean, there's definitely certain, you guys are influence I'm saying. And yeah, for building that foundation, because I mean, it's crazy, man, even young kids still to this day, you know, talking about Vancouver hardcore page, still talk about you guys. Like you guys were the shit and still are. So thank you. That's cool to hear. Yeah. Thanks man. Absolutely, man. So Kim exits because he's too busy with spark marker. He's got that going on. What about Jinx? Was it the same, same kind of thing? Same thing, same time. I think that, yeah, they probably were discussing it with each other. Like, um, brand new units kind of getting busy. Yeah, Spark Marker is getting kind of busy too. Kind of thinking I might need to step away. And, and, and I think we were sad in the beginning, but also it really gave us the chance to, to be a real band at that point in time. Yeah, I remember being being bombed at the time, but it was absolutely the best thing that could have happened for sure. 
Because, like, yeah, I mean, I think for me, the best lineup was here now on out. Um, so musician wise, I'm like, those guys are great musicians, but as, for, as far as strain goes, uh, who we ended up getting was, was beneficial to the band and to the writing and all that stuff. Right. Definitely. So, okay. So enter Greg and Len. How did those, those guys come about, come about to be, to be in strength? You're going to have to answer this so, one, Sean, because I yeah, have so, I have no idea how Len came along. And yeah. I mean, I knew Greg from, you know, he's like a dude I, I skateboarded with a lot, but I don't know how you yeah. guys got him in the band. I'm not sure either. I remember Greg was doing a fanzine with another guy but i can't remember his name and they wrote some reviews on strain i remember that before greg was in the band and they were like big fans i don't remember how greg got into the band i remember len i remember he moved to vancouver from wherever the heck he was from or something Yeah. yeah and he was in a band called fine grind i believe i can't remember how i met him or heard of him but i started to go and jam with him by myself and then i was like this guy is this guy's good like this guy's a, a legit drummer an absolute madman but a legit <laughs> a, a beautiful a beautiful guy and a legit drummer so he was like i still like i think his style was just so sick and really and i didn't realize it as much at the time i knew he was good and he was he was very pliable like if i was like hey try this he would just he'd be on it and then he added just these his own little elements that made things awesome like these little nuances that he would add the little fill here and there and it was just very unique he had a unique style and yeah that was a a level change for the band like a big level change because that like solidified that rhythm section like obviously like jinx isn't a drummer jinx is a great musician he's not a drummer so like solidifying that rhythm section with him and eric uh was a game changer for the band. I think, yeah, I think I definitely became a better bass player with Len on drums. He, he really upped my game, but it's, it's Chris, it's Chris and I, as a combination, I think Chris is that yeah, Chris is it's, it's Chris for me. Like the way Chris made me play or the way we played together is, is, that, that that's the ultimate for me but len great drummer i don't think any of the strain recordings um show accurately what a, a genius he was on drums but the recording of arctic by 108 on the which comp is that sean is it the antimatter comp antimatter on the antimatter comp len played drums yeah. on arctic on antimatter and he makes 108. I, I wish there were more 108 recordings with Len playing because I would want to listen to them so good. Oh, for sure. Which, funny enough, we've reconnected through Facebook. Hey, if you're listening, cool, Len. Um, but let, let's get back into Len's exit of the band. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll, I'll quickly go on. Uh, Len is probably Martin. listening to this. Len is probably yeah. going to listen to this. So oh, that's great. We need to we need to tread Len, tread very you. carefully. I, I love I Len too. To, I would love to uh, reconnect with you, Len, if you are listening. Uh, all I remember is Len was living in our jam space. We were about to go to Europe. I think we we're two weeks away from going to Europe with Len, and 
we go to jam and I think, was there a note, Eric? There was no note. We yeah. were jamming in a rehearsal studio on West Hastings right near Victory Square. So it's as sketchy then as it was, as it is today. Like it's not somewhere that you would want to walk to your rehearsal studio and find the door is open, not just unlocked, but open. So yeah, we went in and we're fearing the worst that all of our gear had been stolen and none of our gear had been stolen, but Len's drum kit had, was mysteriously missing as was this giant flight case we'd had made for him to put his drums in, you know, hoping that one day we would go on a proper tour. We, we needed to look yeah. after his drums. So we put together, we, we got this great flight case made for him and it was missing. Everything was gone. And gone. really like just, we didn't know what was, we didn't know what was happening. We didn't know how to connect with him. This is really like not very many people had cell phones at this point in time. And, and definitely not unemployed people. Yeah, unemployed people in a hardcore band who live in the rehearsal space definitely don't have fun. So we had no way to get a hold of him. And we kept coming back to rehearse. Okay, well, maybe he's there tonight. Maybe there's there tonight. So we kept coming back. And I think after a few days, we kind of put two and two together. And I said, you know, Len's been hanging out with this Hare Krishna guy a lot recently. Do you think there's any possibility that he's decided to become a devotee and so jinx and i went out together to the temple in burnaby and they wouldn't let us see him but they did confirm that he was there and so that was the end of len yeah that's what he needed to do so and we and we were really really lucky we were really fortunate that we had jinx come in to play guitar on the tour and he just found this great new drummer for brand new unit and so we were able to bring Gabe up to speed in a two-week period and get him a, a, a flight booked in his name so wow that's I had no idea it was like two weeks wow that's crazy yeah, it was really quick Gabe Gabe the quick learner still is yeah. for sure uh, did you guys, did you guys do any touring at all with with Greg and Len? Nothing. Yeah, I don't know. We didn't big, do any just like yeah. nothing big. It was more like Calgary, Edmonton, Kamloops, Victoria, Seattle, Tacoma, but nothing nothing big. No Europe with with those guys. Almost. So Len ran away with the Krishnas. Oh, I, quickly, I remember seeing him because one of was playing Seattle. I guess maybe. Yeah, I remember. Oh yeah, yeah. I went to that too. Yeah, I remember going there and just like I wanted to I wanted to intimidate him. <laughs> <laughs> so I just remember going there and like just keeping a straight face and looking at him and then just being like, Len I was just like happy to see him at that point because like it was like water under the bridge. But I remember yeah. wanting to scare him and get a rise out of him. And I could I remember I can still see his face. And it looked like he was like, Oh shit, what's gonna happen here? But but it was good. It was good to see him. Did you what did did you play it up when you actually did talk to him? I'm assuming no, you did no, talk I just, to him. I, I can't. I don't think I did. I think I don't. I think I just kind of hammed it up before I said hi to him, and then and then uh, and then it was all just fine. I, I'm pretty sure I went walking around with him and and, and talking. No animosity because you can't you, you can't have animosity towards towards Len. He's he's an absolutely lovable guy. He may have yeah, been a bit of a for sure. he's kind of a bit of a train wreck. A little bit of a train wreck at, at times in strain, but you had to love Len. 
Absolutely. We have we have lots. Everybody has lens stories. We have we have lens stories. One hundred eight has lens stories, and they're all good. Well, do you remember talking to Rob Fish at that when Burden played at Hastings with the Judas Factor? He I, was, I I absolutely remember <laughs> talking to Rob Fish and him telling yeah. me what's probably one of the best lens stories I, I I've ever heard. Um, just just <laughs> it's so Len. <laughs> Oh man, yeah, great guy, great guy, Len. I jammed with him before he before he played with uh, before he went and played with you guys, and that oh, was yeah? like, just, oh yeah, just a couple times and nothing serious or anything. And like, yeah, what a what a good what a just crazy good drummer. Yeah, you guys are mm-hmm. totally right. That style he had was just like so straightforward, but so many mm-hmm. awesome little nuances. Like Eric yeah. said, absolutely. When when he was when he was on, he was. He was, you know, like top level, but there were days when Len was definitely not on. And maybe that meant that he didn't have a very good lunch or something. Um, for, I don't know, anybody that I guess hasn't read the liner notes of the Baum Wiedemark CD from that Sean O'Leary had written about the, <laughs> the, about the earwax. Oh, yeah. That's another one of the great Len stories, the earwax. <laughs> so, it's not the earwax piece of that story. That's the amazing part. The haircut. It's, it's the fact that he ordered his dinner, yeah. stepped up from the table and never came back while his food sat at the table and got cold. Well, and, he did come back. Well, yeah, he came back, but and we were all finished. We were yeah, all finished was, eating. He came back yeah. in, walked, sat down and looked at everybody who were all speechless, just looking at him. What? What, guys? What? What? And we're like, what do you mean, what? What do you mean, what? Who? Where did you go? Takes off his hat. Yeah, got a haircut, man. Around the corner. Ten bucks. Or whatever it was, right? Yeah. It's time. <laughs> like, who does that? Wait, did he say that I got my hair cut with a vacuum? Or yeah. Or he something? used a vacuum, too. Yeah. He used a va- they used a Jesus vacuum. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Only Len. <laughs> ah. Okay, so enter John and Chris. Yeah. I know you knew John from, from back then. You guys have gotten to know John. How did you yeah. get turned on to Chris? Did Eric, did, you must have known Chris from way back in when he was in Carry On. No, I did not. Re- yeah, really? From, no. Yeah. Or Minority? Yeah, for minority. I mean, I knew I knew minority, but I don't know that I saw him play with minority. I I have no memory. You would have because we played with him. We played with him. Played with him a fair bit of times. He he did play. Yeah, he yeah. did play with him early on. Yeah. Like, yeah. So that's that's how we. I think that's how we kind of knew him, or he knew us. And I don't remember how it came to be with him joining the band. I do remember, and I was telling somebody this story the other day that on our first trip to LA for, I think it was for that new age show. Um, I remember coming back in the van with him. And I think my recollection of this is correct, where he was, he was a smoker when he joined the band. Oh, yeah, that's and right. We, and we told him he had to quit. I don't think he ever smoked since then. And now he's like a, a healthy, a healthy trainer. Yeah. You guys <laughs> so made think, him. Yeah. We, we've changed his life. Did you guys tell me you need to go straight edge? I think maybe because I I think I might have because I was an idiot, but um, <laughs> at all, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm not 100 percent sure, but definitely the smoking was like yeah. 
you got to stop that. Well, I, I remember. He, I mean, I think he Sorry. said that we were. I think he's told us that we were a good influence on him. I, I know that I personally would have never told him he needs to be straight edge. Um, not my mo, but yeah, yeah, sounds like it could be a landyism. It, it could have been. It could have been my mo for sure. You guys couldn't have made a made a, a wiser choice. That's for sure. Yeah, no, it was it was good. I mean, I I feel like the level of yeah, the level of tightness just got to such a a new level with those like John and John and Chris joining the band. It really it was kind of wild, like going to practice. It just it felt so like almost robotic. It was so tight. It was it was really good with those guys for sure. And how long uh, do you guys do anything before the uh, before recording here and now? Like West Coast tours or anything? What wise? I can't I mean, remember. We played, we we played shows. We definitely went down mm-hmm. to do the show for Mike Hartsfield uh, with it was like Trigger Man and Redemption eighty seven. Don't remember who Strife. else. It was with Strife. Strife, yeah, sure. Strife, yeah, yeah. And Trigger Man and Redemption eighty seven. We definitely played that show with him. We probably played Seattle and and locally, mm-hmm. and then we went to Europe for the second time uh, mm-hmm. and recorded here and now and. For me, here and now is a is a flawed record uh, because it's not like I don't feel it's strained because it's material that was written predominantly without those two guys. So it's stuff that yeah. dates back to the very beginning of Strain. The only thing that that I'm that I particularly am proud of is the last record is is our end, and that's because it's one hundred percent the final lineup of strain none of those songs existed before john and chris joined the band and it's like it's like strain on, at the next level and the recording is considerably better than the album was too and i think part of it was jody's level of confidence in his singing i think he did or his vocalizing yeah I, he was relying less uh, on being deep and and gruff and and letting more of his personality show through i actually think that the vocals he did on the cursey ep are what i would have loved to have heard him doing with strain because that was when you heard jody as jody instead of as jody wanting to be a hardcore singer sean may disagree with me but no, yeah, no, I, I mean, our end, our end is the our end is the pinnacle, and it's the pinnacle for for all of those reasons. Better recording, Jody's voice is better, and the songs were written with the five of us. Yeah, I don't I don't think that's popular opinion, but I would agree. That's my favorite thing we did as well. It was like the most mature thing we did. We did write half, at least half of that of here and now with John and Chris, though. Like, I would say half, but I. That's one thing that I am not a huge fan of is the rehashing of like Driven and Cycle and whatever else we rehashed on that record. I don't know. If Torn Away. Good, yeah. Well, Torn Away, I think we just remixed. Um, but, but yeah, like, like those, there's, and there's some old, yeah, some old songs. Like when I listened, I listened to that record recently and I was like, man, I like half of this. I think half of this is okay. And then the other half, I wish we just wrote other songs. Yeah, but but it is what it is. It's, I mean, so so many hardcore bands, especially. I mean, we 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 did it too. I mean, just mm-hmm. having to write an LP, reaching yeah. a broader audience on a on a bigger label. Obviously, you just want to bring back those songs, right? Like out of necessity for us, it was you know. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think and there was definitely 
Sorry, Sean. I was going to say definitely some necessity for us too to fill out a, a full length. We we didn't have a full length full of exactly. entirely new material at the time. Yeah. So, and I think we also wanted to pay some of the earlier songs justice, right? Like, yeah, record them the way they should have been recorded. Yeah, that's, sure. that's exactly what I was just about to say. Yeah, we we wanted. I know we wanted a different take on on some of those songs for sure. Whether they're better or not, I don't know, but. It's a different take. We thought it was going to be better. Sorry, jumping ahead to our end. How come you guys decided to go with with Heart First for that release? Um, from my recollection, Mike was supposed to release a seven inch of some of it, not all of it. Is that? Do you remember that, Eric? I know. I know there was supposed to be a release on New Age as well, but it didn't happen. It's it's possible that it would have been the songs that Flo didn't release as a seven inch, and I, and I'm not sure why it didn't happen. Probably because Flo bankrolled the the recording session. So that's why we did it with Heart First, because Flo said, hey, here's a whack of money. Yeah. Go and record a new record for me. And and you can have something new to sell when you're on tour. So yeah, we have that it worked out really well. And we had that for the tour, which is great. And we, I mean, I can speak for myself and probably all of us, we love Flo. Like Flo is so so awesome to us he's awesome to be around um so i think strangely we just we wanted to work with people that we we respected liked cared about cared about what we were doing so it wasn't necessarily about i mean some of the time it got a little funny but i don't think it was necessarily about what label we should be on as a paramount decision maker um right that was definitely came to light a little bit later. Like I think new age, I did want to be on new age for sure, but it was, uh, I think working with flow was more of like, yeah, this guy's a, a great guy. And he, uh, he came with us on both our European tours and it was just great to be around. Um, do you guys want to talk a little bit about the rec- the recording? Any, any memories that stick out or any funny stories or anything with that? Oh, we got to be with Blair recording. There was always fun. So I would say that on here and now, I, I don't have any stories of recording because I was probably mentally not in a particularly good place. And I did not, I did not put anything into that recording. And that's my, that's one of my regrets. I showed up, I played the songs and I walked away. I didn't, I, I wasn't there with everyone. I'm, I really regret that. Um, our end, I was there the whole time and, it's probably one of the reasons why I feel it's a much better record too. I, uh, I didn't know that, but I remember just vaguely things about the recording sessions. And I remember just having a high level of perfectionism, um, trying to get everything perfect sounding and, and realizing now after I've recorded things um, multiple times that you don't necessarily need to do that. And you should listen to your patient uh, engineer, which was Blair, who was really cool about uh, going through all that with me. But I remember, yeah, I just remember I loved and loved being in the studio. It's it's maybe my favorite part of, well, I like writing, but it's, I really love being in the studio and creating. So I just remember it fondly. And I remember, you know, talking about Mushroom and, and how there's all these stories of hauntings and things like that. that yeah, yeah. Fun. Yeah, and so Blair would tell us tell us different stories on that, and I remember 
I remember being like Blair had to leave to do sound for somebody. I don't remember who it was. It might've been like, no or something. I think she was doing that maybe around that time one night. And I don't remember who was all sitting at the studio. I don't think, I don't think you were there, but it was me and um, a few other people, Jody. And I think John was there and some friends and Blair locked us in the studio. So like the, the front door was locked. It was probably like one or two in the morning. And all of a sudden we hear the, the front door shaking like crazy, like somebody's trying to get in. And so we all get up right away. And if, Eric, if you remember, did you ever go in, into Mushroom, Jason? No, no. Yeah. Well, the, there's like the, the room where you would hang out and watch TV was right by the front door. You walk out of that door and the front door is right there. And yeah. so we got out and it's, you know, the street it's on. We got yeah. out, looked around. There was like nobody in sight. There's nobody on the street. There's nobody you know, behind the building. So that's, I mean, who knows? But that was like our little story that we, uh, we'd like to think was our, our ghostly experience. Right on. Yeah, there's a I, lot of stories, yeah. I only, I remember like Blair telling us two stories about like a, a famous Canadian musician, pianist who was playing piano in the sealed piano room. And as he was playing, the cold wind blew over him. <laughs> like, that's a little bit creepy, but there was also, I think when we were recording our end, there was a, a drawing on the wall and I'm not sure which, which band it was that had recorded there, but one of the, the a daughter of one of the members had drawn the picture of the ghost. And the quote from Blair was the little girl said, but don't worry. He's a good ghost. Yeah. I remember that one. I remember the, the, I think it so, was a, a famous uh, female musician playing piano and having a hand on her shoulder and her looking over and there's nobody there while she's playing. So yeah, all sorts of. I, I remember during our end, Sean, I remember during our end and I, you had a pager and you'd <laughs> left it on top of an upright piano that was in the studio and it was buzzing, but nobody knew what it was or where it was. And so we all thought that, the ghost was in the room, but it turned out to be your pager. Not a very wow. exciting story. <laughs> Thanks for reminding me that I had a pager at one time in my life. That was wild. <laughs> so doing the two European tours, what are your, what, what are you guys like favorite memories and stories you have from there doing, doing that since you spent the majority of your touring time there? What was, what were your favorite times there and any crazy stories? I think for me, just like I, I look back, on those days and I have a much different life now and I, I would like my life today is great but I will always go back and say that the times I shared with the guys in strain on tour in 95 and 96 are some of the best days of my life um, I know that on our first tour there was a little bit of friction and a little bit of trouble we still had a great time but the second tour Sean and Jody, like the three of us were a well-oiled machine together. We got along so well. We had so much fun uh, and, and flow and Ole, like just like there, there is no one single highlight. It's like two months. The second tour is basically two months of touring bliss with those guys. There were hard times for sure. We definitely had hard times and some bad shows, but 
if you could give me a time machine to go back in time, it's definitely one of those times that I would go back and, and relive. It was, it was so much fun. Yeah, that's well put, Eric. I mean, yeah, it's hard to, hard to make specifics after that. But I think for me, just going there, getting on a plane with something we created and, or having something that we created facilitate a trip to Europe, which is somewhere I never really thought of going at that point in my life. I was, I think I was 18 when we left or, or something like that. And uh, or I guess it was 19, yeah, 95. So it was just, it was a wild experience going there and playing shows, not knowing what to expect whatsoever and having people know who we are right off the bat, even on that first tour, which was crazy because we just had like those little EPs out. And I, I, I didn't know if they would be able to access the Overkill record. So I had no idea. I was like, oh, we're touring on um, little two song seven inches. Or I, I don't even remember if we had two out at that point. Yeah, I think so, we had two. Yeah, so I was I was shocked and just like I just remember getting off the plane and and being in a van and driving and just being like, wow, this is crazy. We're in we're in Europe, um, and I just remember seeing some different things, but I also remember not appreciating it, like looking back and not appreciating that as much as I definitely would now. And I did have a chance to go back um, in 2013, which was you know I appreciated it a little bit more then. But those trips. Like the first one was such a kind of a crazy one because we jinxed and Gabe at the last minute. The second time, and it was, a, it was a beautiful trip. And the second time around, I think we knew a little more what to expect and we had a more solid, like Eric's saying, we had a more solid unit going over there. So I think my confidence level going into the second one was a lot higher and kind of knew what to expect. Yeah, I just remember, I mean, I was literally last night, I was going through my computer and there's a video that Jody made. Jody had a video camera on our second tour and he he recorded a bunch of stuff so there's about an hour of footage of us just hanging out and you know different little things that happen on on the road and and uh there's some yeah some 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 things that we won't mention here because our 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 friend ollie in sweden might be embarrassed but but just yeah just (laughs) you know you know but just you know just amazing, amazing times that I wish, you know, I think a lot of kids are like this. I wish that I could uh, relive some of those and appreciate them more. But like looking back, it was just, uh, it, was, it was amazing times. I think it's really important to, to bring some perspective to, and like, for me, I'm, I'm like almost, you know, I'm like seven years older, eight years older than Sean. And like like my generation, I know when when people left high school, that was their thing. They were going to they'd saved up all their part time job money for two or three years so that they could do their once in a lifetime European backpacking trip. So it wasn't like the pre COVID days where there were inexpensive flights and ev you know everybody is traveling everywhere around the world. Even in into ninety five when we went there the first time, it was. It was a big deal, not just as a band, but still as an individual. People just didn't travel the way they did, you know, 20 years later. So um, it was kind of a big deal. And if I do, like you all of a sudden, you brought up some, you brought up some memories, Sean. And, and if I am going to bring up like one of those, <laughs> those great memories from the second tour, I have to say Roma was like not a great show. But 
such a great memory because Chris broke down the walls, cost us a lot of money, but Chris broke down the walls. And I think my favorite story is there's a little Fiat 500 parked next to Strain's van outside of the squat that we were playing at. And before that, before we noticed the 500, we'd been out buying pizza. We all had pizza in cardboard pizza boxes and the, the 500's doors were unlocked. And when we finished eating pizza, the 500 had a stack of like a dozen pizza boxes on the driver's seat. That was, that's a good memory. Yeah. Okay. So you, you want to elaborate on the, the, Chris, the Chris thing? Breaking down the walls? I'm- well, yeah. I mean, should I mention that I was snoring with such volume and ferocity that Chris lost it? Chris lost it and he, we were locked into the, we were locked into the building because it was a squat and Chris lost it and beat, beat the door so heavily that the wall around it broke. Um, so the people that ran the squat basically kept all the money we'd made the night before. So we, we kind of played Rome for free, but yeah, between the breaking down the walls, the pizza boxes and somebody possibly pooping outside um yeah good times <laughs> yeah definitely no um, no swedish no swedish names will be named i'm gonna think of it you know i'm sure there's you guys you guys were there for a few more weeks than we were on our tours like there was so, thinking back so much crazy shit happened over there like only in europe oh, we don't need two wild stories no sean he, you you had a run oh, in for sure yeah 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 no we had the turkish the Turkish, Turkish gangsters. gangsters. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, we had that. That was not fun. Yeah. 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 Uh, fun. We, we were playing a show and they, they seriously were intent on putting Sean in the hospital. So it was, it was quite unpleasant. Um, and it was, it's a testament to Sean's like stand up good guyism. He defended the punk rockers that were being hassled outside and they, they didn't take kindly to it. Good man, Sean. So what ended up happening? Did they just end up leave? Do they just end up finally leaving? No, no, the police, the police came. Okay. We push, we like John and I I remember John and I like pushing them out. So they were trying to push their way in. John and I pushed them out and like exchanging words and all that stuff. And then I think the, the guy who was running the show said like, yeah, those, those people are kind of crazy. And then they said they're going to come back with like weapons. So, I hid in a bathroom on a stall and the guy that was running the show like looks over. I was like, like standing on the stall. The guy, like they're looking underneath. I could see them like looking underneath trying to find me. And the guy that's running the show was like, Oh, he's not in there, but the door was locked for that stall. So they luckily they believed. And then the police came, they had to escort me up to the top of the club where I sat while strain played. And then we like had to like leave after. And I was like, I was pretty freaked out. Cause I think we we're going home. Like, Either the next day or the day after, and I was just like, I just want to go home now. <laughs> like that was like, <laughs> such a, it was like yeah. a bummer. Like I so think it's thing that you don't see at a hardcore show. They weren't like punk kids. They were just some yeah gangsters. Yeah, they were wanna they were wanna be gangsters. Um, yeah. I, I remember. I think they didn't really appreciate Sean laughing at their their insults. I, I think we were all laughing because it was. I fuck your sister. I fuck your family. And we're just like, yeah. 
Fuck your Dude. mother. So I remember reading yeah, an interview, yeah. a fanzine interview. Yeah. Okay, that's right. That's right. Yeah. And that's like, yeah, super insulting. And I, I mean, I grew up playing hockey. And I mean, that's what you do in hockey. You, you hurl insults. You try to like get your opponent off their game. They hurl insults at you. And then you fight or you don't fight. But it's like, I grew up with that stuff. So I was just like thinking, there's, I, I thought there, their approach was weak. <laughs> that's, not, that's not good trash talk. But uh, apparently, uh, culturally, uh, yeah. Culturally, it's it's the worst yeah. you could you, the worst you could do, and we're giggling at them. So, yeah. Yeah. was not helpful. Okay. No. Okay. And but uh, yeah, I mean, lots lots of crazy stories about about tour. Uh, I I think like our our stories are are pretty tame, not very interesting. I, I've spoken to other people in other bands who are much bigger than us, and yeah. We don't have tour stories, Jason. That's all there really is to it. Like nothing that I say can match up with some of the stories I've heard from some other bands. Just like rock and roll, de- some 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 next level debauchery. craziness and yeah. some serious rock and roll debauchery from some people I know in bands. Yeah, for yeah, we're sure. pretty chill. We're pretty chill. I can't even remember who I was just talking to. It was the other day somebody from a Vancouver band, a bigger band that had toured. Oh, sorry, it was Ken. Ken Fleming from Unwanted SNFU. We were talking about how when SNFU was over there and they, it happened in the Czech Rep- in Prague, basically after the show, these gangster guys came up to him and said, you're going to give us uh, all your money or we're going to cut off your fingers. Wow. Like serious gangster. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's crazy. Prague was much nicer to us than, than those guys. Yeah. And yeah. Prague was great. Prague was awesome. It was it was so hot, so sweaty, so packed, so much fun. And I thought it was really awesome that like we had this contingent of kids travel hours and hours from Vienna to come to that show because that was the closest we were going to Vienna on the tour. And that was amazing too. Yeah, that show because we were supposed to play Prague the year before. Uh, went back to Prague and played the same club that Strain played. Uh, in 2013 and there was there was guys from from that show and they mentioned that that uh there was kind of a i think people were kind of waiting for us to play because we were supposed to play 95 there and then uh they were pretty psyched uh for us to play 96 and it was cool seeing those guys this many years later still coming to shows and doing lots in the scene too those guys are, are cool guys now as far as the bands that you guys played with over there do you have any memories of any weird kind of lineups or any oddball kind of bands that you played with? I played with the Upside, which is maybe they were really big over in Europe, but never heard much of them over here. But those are good. Yeah. Everybody's great. Everybody that we play with is great. I'd say that the the one weird band we played with, because the dudes were weird, was Pitbull from Detroit. <laughs> those guys were they oh, were they were dudes. they were not what I expected from a hardcore band. They were not they were at just, all way different dudes totally they're like like kind of like detroit street like kind of i don't know what i can say on here but like kind of they're kind of like what can i say here well i I know like they were like big into like they were into like detroit lions football yeah they're like kind of normal dudes almost that yeah normal dudes that played hardcore Normal okay. dudes that might that might like drive a truck 
like a like a semi truck. Not that there's anything wrong with that. You don't a lot in in the hardcore scene, but they're kind of like dudes that you know might drive a truck, might you know like to go shoot some guns, might. Uh, I, you know, I get what you're saying. I get might, what you're might, saying. Might frequent the strip club, <laughs> that kind of thing. <laughs> um, yeah, they yeah. were interesting. They were one of the yeah. weirdest bands we played with. RKL was weird too. We played with RKL on the first European yeah. tour, and I remember the comments about how casual heroin use is cool from those guys, which was like for a bunch of kids from the burbs in in Vancouver. That was kind of like damn who like who are these guys so that was the oddball band those are the oddball bands you guys played with i mean we played with lots of strange bands but we never i don't think we had any bad experiences with any of the bands we played with does does that ring any bells with you sean it doesn't ring any bells. yeah no no yeah no yeah i think yeah, I can't remember a lot of the bands. Played. Both tours we played with the Episodes, we were both on the same kind of um, tour timeline. So we'd play a few shows with those guys, and those are huge shows in Europe. Yeah. Uh, like, yeah, really large shows. But yeah, no, just we, we, we toured with this band, Elision. They were really nice guys, like good dudes. And yeah, you know, just, yeah, good, uh, good crew all around. Okay. And did you guys have. Uh favorite show i know for us there's one show that sticks out just of the sheer craziness of this was the best show we ever played in a small freaking like world war ii bunker in germany it was a small town like do you guys have a show that was i don't know one that was that sticks out as being the best show of your of your time over there i feel like for me i think i don't know if eric's gonna say the same one but castle castle germany both times we played but the first time we played there's a video of it and i remember we were watching all the opening bands and the place was packed, like just packed, like probably over, over packed. And, and I remember there's, I think two bands before us or three bands before us and the crowd was not doing anything, like just like staring at them. And it was, it was an unfortunate thing back in those days where, where the kids in Europe or at least in Germany weren't really into their own bands, like weren't into bands that were from there. So they watched these bands and I remember Jody got up on stage and, said something about the crowd <laughs> he's like pretty blunt i think about the crowd being kind of lame and then we hit our first chord and the place goes bananas and it was i just remember that show being crazy uh, there's a picture of eric on his on his back on the stream poster and i don't know if right. that's in the lp too but that's from that show and, and uh that show to me stands out like both both times like that that first time and the second time was was huge as well so those those castle shows I absolutely agree, Sean. For me, nothing, nothing surpasses both castle shows. Like for different for different reasons. The first time, I think, because we were just so shocked. I, I don't think we expected the crowd. It may have been the first night that we played with Yuppieside on that tour. Um, I, I just don't think. Yeah, we just weren't we weren't really mentally prepared for what was going to happen, and it was and it went off. And it was great and it was so much fun. And then the next year we went back and it was as good or better than it had been the year before. Like we were a better band and the show was just as good. So yeah, it was great. And for me, the second show is the best one because Tina, our friend from Würzburg, 
her and her younger sister, who I'm still in touch with today, which I think is really, really awesome, they came to Castle with a nice chocolate cake that they had baked with their grandmother for my birthday. So the second Castle is, is unforgettable for that reason. Like we had friends come to see us play and, and bring me cake. And it was an awesome show. How does it get? It doesn't get better than that. I mean, I'm sure it could if you're like a giant rock band and, but whatever. For, for what we did, when we did, Second Castle, First Castle, best shows we ever played. Did you guys get to play any like bigger festivals? Not in Europe. No. Not in Europe. We were never we were never there in full festival season. I think we played an Eper Fest, but it wasn't the Eper Fest. Before it went, but it was still in North Eper Fest, but it was yeah, it was not not uh, what it became, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah, okay. We played there in two thousand one and that was the most the most people we ever played to, which was ridiculous. Yeah. Like it was uh, one of the only times I was really kind of really really nervous. Not sure of the year, but this was when the original Java Joint was still going in the little caf- cafe part. I had booked by a thread to play. Mm-hmm. I can't remember with else. And somebody there was somebody was injured. I can't remember who. And Strain decided to play. I think maybe it was kind of a last minute, last week kind of thing. And I sp- specifically remind saying, Eric, please, please don't bring dual stacks. Please talk to the guys. Because it's going to be crazy <laughs> and something's going to happen. And what yeah, did you guys yeah, do? Yeah. Did you get two fridge caps? <laughs> yeah, no, I was, and yeah. Stuff. I mean, Sean and John definitely at that point in time, they did not go anywhere without two Marshall for 12 cabs. And uh, I managed to somehow put together two Ampeg 810 cabs yeah. with my 600 watt trace head. And yeah, I mean, I, I guess we pretty much blew the windows out of the little cafe. I have some some memories of uh, you. You you remember? Okay, for I mean, people that weren't there, they can't picture this. It was like a it was like a fifteen person capacity little tiny cafe, literally with a counter to the left side that took up half the venue. Yeah, and I remember you guys playing and Franco's. It just, it was, I mean, what you didn't have to get a lot of people in there for it to be freaking packed. Do you guys remember? Like maybe there was, maybe, I don't know, 60, 70 people. I can, two specific things. I remember standing by the, standing by the counter, holding up Franco's stack a couple of times near, like seriously close to falling over. And the other one, I don't know if you guys remember this playing, but there was a kid and I swear you not, I swear to fucking God, this kid went to get a coffee and was crowd surfing, went, ordered his coffee and was crowd surfing. It was so packed over the crowd to get back out the door, like on top of the crowd. <laughs> I don't remember this. But, uh, but yeah, they, that was one yeah. of the, that was one of the most ridiculous things. Yeah. I remember, I remember being, being a so part fun. of, but that was such yeah. a good show. That was, that was super fun. I remember. Cause yeah, we didn't announce that we we're playing. Right. And we just played. I, that- yeah. I think it, it was by thread yeah. and someone, I, yeah. I think Joe played drums. Okay. That's, yeah. that's possible. Yeah. Um, somebody must have known that we were playing because I know that Jamie from Minority brought the Fear Factory dudes out to that show. <laughs> that's right. You know. Yeah, no, we did. Like, I think it was maybe, do you remember, Sean, why by someone, there was an injury or someone couldn't make it? No, I don't. I I just remember it being kind of a secret string show. Yeah, I, yeah, I think we had maybe show. maybe even a couple of days to get the word out about yeah. it. 
but yeah, and Dino had yeah, I remember that, and Dino had to take a shit or something. I remember uh, you crowd surf to get to the bathroom. <laughs> that would have been something, but yeah, that would have. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, that was uh, that was a that was definitely a fun show. Okay, so let's get on. Let's get into into our end then. Just when you guys got to say anything about that or any memories or. I would say my, my take on our end is that the unknowingly, the title of the record was very prophetic. <laughs> yeah. In, re- in retrospect, like a band that puts out a collection of their early material and then a record called our end, mm-hmm. like you're kind of writing the closing there at the time. I know that, Strain didn't officially break up. We just sort of stopped playing together. Um, And for myself and Jody, maybe to a lesser degree, Chris, but for myself and Jody, of course, like we were, we were pretty heartbroken about it, but in retrospect, the, the time for us to end was, it was the right time. I would have loved for us to do another studio session and go back to Europe again, but, I also realized that at that point in my life, I was at a spot where I needed to make a decision between playing in a hardcore band and having a a dead end job and and trying to do something different. And I was forced into doing something different and it's ended up working out, you know, relatively well for me. I've lived a fairly comfortable life since then. So no complaints, sadness on one hand and, you know, gave me the ability to move on at the same time. Yeah. I mean, I remember, I remember drilling and writing those songs and feeling like uh, they're a different, a different level from what we're writing for at least, at least a couple of them. Um, I see the slower ones. And I remember being in the studio and reading Joey's lyrics and thinking like, this is, this is some, some rad stuff. Like uh, I really enjoyed what he was where he was going with the lyrics and then hearing his vocal output for that record was, was great. Cause I, I, it's just, it was like Eric was saying earlier, it was, he was coming more into himself. So I feel like it's, it's kind of sucks. Cause I think we were just coming into ourselves, like you said, as a band, but John and I were sort of going off in this other direction um, with what we wanted to do. But, I think the reason why we kind of fizzled is because I don't, I, I don't think John or I really wanted to close the door on strain because we, we loved it so much too, but it just, it just, uh, and that's why I think we kept playing here and there because we never were like, ah, we don't like doing this. It wasn't about that. We just were kind of driven to do something else at that point. But yeah, I, I don't remember a lot about recording that record. I remember a lot of writing. I remember going in and writing with John. John would sometimes go in and play drums. Uh, and him and I would just go in and, and write, and uh, so I remember that. I remember that process a lot. Yeah, and I remember bringing that record to Europe and being really proud of it when we're when we're selling it on tour, and hoping kids would buy it so they could like listen to the songs and come to shows like somewhere else on the tour, knowing those songs because it came out literally I think right when we got there. For me, our end is all about the song, our end, and find the one. And I think really like when Sean says that's that's the writing. Th- to the next level is, is those songs point into a direction that we probably would have expanded upon had we stayed together longer. I think that uh, it was less, I mean, it was still hardcore. Like it's hard, it's as hard hardcore as you can get, but I think there, there was a sort of uh, 
something different in the way the songs were written and the way we played them and, and Jody's vocal delivery that, you know, if somebody today asks me about what I was doing when I was younger, I always point to that song. I always say, you know, we have all these records, but the song you I want you to listen to is this one because it's the one that I think it, um, it, it clearly represents everything we were and would have been after. And that's our end. Our end is such a, it's such a great song. It, it's lyrically, it's one of Jody's stronger pieces of work. And uh, yeah, I mean, I just, I just love the, the groove to it. It's a fun it's a, song to play. It was also like, like a very collaborative song between the band. Like the main riff is Franco's like that. That main verse riff is Franco's. I think, I think we collaborated on the chorus and, I think the ending riff is mine. So it was like a very collaborative uh, song that one. Okay, cool. Yeah, I I don't know if it's maybe it's just me, my opinion, but that that our end has a darker feel to it. Maybe that's just my interpretation. I would say lyrically it it has some very dark subject material. <laughs> um I mean, you're really hearing Jody's life. Our end is you know, it's a little more straightforward, the song, but yeah, a couple of those songs like regret and these years, damn, like it, it's just damn. Like I remember like Sean saying he remembers reading the lyrics and I remember reading the lyrics and, you know, being concerned for Jody, like worrying about what was going on in my friend's head, like the struggles he was he'd clearly been having in his life. So yeah, I mean, it's a powerful record. You're really seeing Jody. That's really Jody. There were moments of it before, but that record is Jody. Yeah. Sorry. I froze up and cut out there for a second. I think I heard, I heard uh, what you were talking about there, Jason. I just heard what you were saying there, Eric. And uh, yeah, I, there were, there was dark times for, for Jody leading up to that record. I, I remember him calling me at, various times of the night and speaking with me or, or my um, girlfriend at the time and being in really dark places. And that, that, that record is definitely an output of what he was, what he was going through at the time. And I just, I loved his honesty with that. I just thought it was, uh, it was, it was, it was great to see that because I was feeling a lot of the same things he was feeling on that, but I wasn't, particularly emoting those things at that time of my life. So it was, it was good. It was nice. And I connected with those songs greatly. Um, Cause I, I mean, I connected with him, but I also connected with what he was saying. Before the rain fest 2012 with Jody, you guys did, I think four or five reunion shows. Is it that many? I know we did one with, uh, for Sean. It was yeah, like 2003. Yeah. Like, like, like the one where we played at the Java joint and when we played with silent majority and indecision, I'm not necessarily yep. sure I consider those reunion shows as much as I consider them the strain on the, on the end of, at the end of its so, life. Sorry, my bad. I mean, right. yeah, you can, you can categorize them as that because we weren't really a, a fully functioning band anymore, but at the same time, we, we weren't finished yet either. Exactly. So. You, you guys never did break up. I was, that's right. That was my bad. But yeah, 2003 was definitely the first reunion. And then I guess, did we wait until Rainfest for the next one? We played a few, we played a few shows after Strain was, was kind of already 
past its, you know, past its expiry date. So I know I remember playing once with Gob in like one of their giant punk strikes back shows in Langley. Yeah. That was in Langley. Um, and yeah, that must have been 98 because my hair was probably as long as it is now or, or 97. And I hadn't been cutting my hair either. <laughs> and Sean yeah, didn't play had... that. Sean didn't play that show. Yeah, I was super sick. Oh, okay. Yeah. I don't remember that. Yeah, I, just remember I was that, so yeah. bummed. I was like so sick. I, could, I couldn't even stand up. So I couldn't do that show. And b- since the 2013 one for Sean's uh, 10-year anniversary thing, how did you guys feel about about that show and the reaction and everything? Were you thinking it was going to be as as good as 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 good as it was with that time? Between you know, having played for for what was a while coming up to that. I had no idea. I had no idea what to. I remember. I think it took some coercion to to get some of us to to play that show, um, or any Renin show. But uh, I don't. I didn't. I didn't know what to expect whatsoever. And it was, it was cool. It was a fun show. It was fun. It was at Sealand. I mean, I grew up in, I grew up around there. I took Taekwondo at Sealand Hall. Nice. Uh, so I have, a, I have a connection with that place. So it was, it was cool. And it was cool to, cool to do it with the bands, um, including yours that we did it with. Thanks. Yeah. It was a good, I remember it. I think it was Jody. I was talking, talking to about it initially and him say, well, I don't know if anybody's going to come. And I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Like be, being, in the band is different. You got a different outlook and stuff, but I just couldn't believe that Jody would think that kids wouldn't fucking come for strain. Like I was just blown away, but I'm really glad you guys did that. Yeah, that turned out to be fun. That one was, that one I thought was fun. Yeah, it was fun. I think, I think the first rain fest was much less fun. Yeah. We should, we should have, we should have never played after yeah. trial. <laughs> that was, I don't know whose idea that was. It certainly wasn't our idea it's to probably, play after trial. Probably Greg's because he's just out of, you know, just being, I think, trying to be cool. kind, but, kind but, and yeah, no, I think like, yeah, I think we're, I don't know. I, I don't regret playing those, even though I kind of do, I, I guess like I do like personally, but I know, like, I know Jody wanted to play all those shows. Like Jody wanted to do whatever we could do. So I'm happy. I'm happy we did those because I know Jody wanted to do those. Yeah, the tw- the 2012 one was definitely where you could feel the difference of like the late 90s to what Park so many years later had turned into. Just the the differences and the fact. I mean, I was I was bummed. You know, I didn't. I expected more kids to know you guys, and I was kind of blown away actually that they didn't. But I think it. You guys definitely did make a big impact on a lot of people. I know for a fact that I talked to that had never seen you guys, never even heard you before. So, you know? Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think we expected much of those shows, but it's like, man, who, like, what can we expect? We're a band and we, I think we kind of broke up in 97. Right. So it's like expecting anything from like, and, and the turnover in the hardcore scene. I mean, there's lifers like, you and I, you and I, Jason and Eric, even though you won't admit it, but there's like, you know, there's kids that just come and go, you know, there's definitely kids that are around for two or three years and gone. And I don't even know how it works these days, but yeah, you know, you, you don't really know what to expect. And it was, it was lackluster feeling for sure. But yeah. It was, it was, and it wasn't at the same time, Sean, I'm, I'm all of a sudden remembering that when we got into your car to go back home after the show, I remember telling you, 
show might not have, we might not have felt great about the show, but our job is done here. And what had happened was one of the other bands that was playing and they were pretty, I mean, they were like one of the hype hardcore bands and I don't remember the name of the band, but they, I think they were from Michigan, young kids, clean cut guys playing this crazy hardcore. They were really, really good. And the guy said to me, I was a little kid when you guys were a band and my brother used to listen to you and never in my life did I imagine that I would ever get to see you. But I didn't just get to see you. I got to see you and my band got to play with you. And it's kind of like a dream come true for him. And it like, that was like one of those moments where it's like, okay, yep. I don't, I don't, I don't need anything today because it doesn't matter if the show, if we didn't think the show was good because that done success, that mind, like, that's all I need. Like that can keep you go. Something like that could keep you going for years, actually. Like that was such a, an amazing compliment to receive from somebody. Like I, I, if I could remember the name of the band and I would, I would, I want to just say still like, thank you really meant a lot. I'm trying to think what band that was. Tapped Under Ice? No, I'm no. not sure. They're from Baltimore. They were, they were, okay. Yeah, they were from Detroit. I think they were from Detroit or somewhere in Michigan. Doesn't okay. really matter what the name yeah. of the band is. Like the, the relevant part of the story is that, you know, like we, we made an impact on one person and that one person, you know, told us that we made an impact and that's all I needed. It's, it's really, really satisfying to hear that. Like makes it worthwhile. Totally. And I was talking, I don't know if you guys have had a chance to listen to the episode I did with Mike Hartsfield, um, New Age Records. We were, t- we were talking about the, uh, about the record and about, about you guys. And he was just saying how initially on, but just now, even present day, how much people are into strain, the impact that you guys have made. That led us to talk about the uh, 25th anniversary of Here and Now. Right. <laughs> Something I completely forgot about. Like. Yeah, I didn't know until, had Mike. Yeah, until uh, Greg Adams was telling me about that. I was like, "Man, that's a scary thing." <laughs> but it's yeah, kind of crazy, right? Yeah, twenty-five yeah, years. It is. it is. Yeah, it's insane. Have you guys? Um, like I mentioned to you guys, have you guys had a chance to discuss anything or about talking with Mike about a possible re-release of that? Well, there's been, there's been, there's some, there's some discussions happening around something with that already so we'll we'll definitely talk to mike as well but we haven't talked to, we haven't talked to mike about it but there's okay there's, no, there's another label that's likely interested in doing something as well excellent so, but i guess yeah. i guess my my take on it is a little is a little bit different growing up as a hardcore kid in the 80s there were no elder statesmen of hardcore everybody was probably between the ages of 14 and 26 or 27 when I first started going to shows. And so now I I see like guys playing youth crew hardcore in their mid forties to early fifties. And I'm just thinking like, like from my personal take is come on, man, let, let the kids have a chance. Like, I know you're, I know you're having a great time and, and you're enjoying this, this creative output, but I would really love to see, kids coming along and, and doing something new. And so it, when people start talking about like, Oh, do you want to put out a, a reissue of strain? I'm kind of, I'm kind of like, I, I, I really don't care. I'd, I'd rather see new music being put out than somebody putting out something from 25 years ago. 
it's flattering, but it's it's kind of unnecessary. I don't think we're a band where our our old records are you know auctioning off for hundreds of dollars a piece. So there's really no reason to to, to reissue them. Just my take. Sean might be completely different, but I, I, I'm really of the opinion like let the kids have a chance, man. I like 45, 50 year old dudes playing the same same kind of hardcore they did 25 years ago is a, is a little. I don't, I mean, power to them, but for me, it's, it's not something I could do or want to do. I have no desire to, to do that anymore. I think for me, it's, uh, I just, I don't, I'm not like an ageist, not that Eric is, but it's just like, whatever you want to do in life, you should pursue it. It doesn't matter how old you are. And it's like, I think the kids are doing whatever they're going to do, no matter what. So if there's, if there's, if there's people that want, you know, uh, a historical record or a record that meant something to them and somebody wants to put it out and there's a market for it. It's, it's cool with me. I don't think it's going to necessarily take away from anything else that's happening out there. That's going to happen no matter what the kids are always going to be, um, the catalyst for moving things forward and, and, uh, and driving the hardcore scene. That's, that's always going to be the case. But I think with hardcore, cause it's a younger, it's a younger genre of music. You're, that's why you do have these guys that are in their forties playing youth group music, right? Like it's like, you know, whatever sixties music they, they grew up listening to. Uh, so I just think I'm just a full proponent of people doing whatever the heck they want to do, whatever drives you, whatever you're passionate about, follow your passion, whether you're 16, 18, 60, 70, it doesn't matter. For sure. Definitely. But Eric, I definitely want to just comment on that, man. Coming at, coming from a different point of view, again, from myself as just being a fan since pretty much the beginning. Like, I mean, I just want to, I would just love another strain release, you know, in my hands, be it another, you know, the record or I was talking to Mike, a discography, which hopefully is what you guys are alluding to something along those lines. Yeah. I would, I would like to, I think like, if we were to do something like that, like I would like to have also like, obviously the big thing here is Jody, our singer is no longer with us. It would be so nice to have something with a lot of photos, with a lot of, you know, like something we really put some time and effort into making it uh, a visual piece as well as a musical piece. So to me, it would be nice to, nice to have something to commemorate and have in our hands and be able to put out as like, uh, a historical output of this of this band and this person. Definitely. How was it playing the the final Rainfest with Greg and and the other guys doing the vocals? Uh, that was really emotional for a lot of people that weren't his best friends in the band, including myself. I can only imagine what you guys were thinking. Was it as bittersweet as I would imagine? Yeah. yeah. In the beginning, it felt for me, it felt it felt really strange to be doing it without Jody. But I think the first time we got together to to play the songs again was really nice. Greg Benick came up to to share that experience with us. And the amazing thing was is that even when Greg wasn't filling in for Jody, I know, and I know, I all of us said the same thing afterwards is we heard him 
we heard Jody's voice even when he wasn't there, right? And I, I think like immediately that that first evening we realized that it was the right thing to do. It's definitely, uh, I think, uh, a tribute that that Jody would have been been proud of. Um, and and I love the fact that that we brought some of our friends in to to help us. That we brought Greg and Haram and and Justin. Yeah, I mean they they were all great at what they did for for different reasons, and I just have to say like Aram and Justin didn't come in and, and rehearse with us, but they nailed it. Like like Justin nailed it. Justin was so damn good. Uh, like, yeah, for sure. Justin, like they were all good, <laughs> but like I'm just I'm still blown away by the fact that Justin never rehearsed with us. And he did that show and he did it so well. And I think part of the reason why he did it so well is because his heart was absolutely in it. He was a, he was someone I, I didn't know prior to that, but he had been good friends with Jody for many years. So it was, it was just as important to Justin as it was to the rest of us. So it was hard and it wasn't hard at the same time. And, and it was the right thing to do. I just wish that, Maybe we like Rainfest was a great venue because we had this great sound system and theoretically a, a great potential audience to play to. But we it would have been better if we had have done it at home. I think. Yeah. Well, I mean, I can say being there, everybody. I think that I don't want to say mattered, but you know, everybody was there that made the effort to make it out there. I didn't get to see the rest of the Rainfest. Really appreciate it a lot because that was like you know. A, lot, a closing for us too and um just want to thank you guys for that it was a it was an emotional experience i just, i remember like just being on stage at the beginning and just like kind of welling up because it was just it was a crazy thing you know doing that and then looking over and jody not being there but yeah it was, it was a yeah tough experience but a good like eric said good that we did it and I don't, and I don't necessarily think that we did it like it wasn't selfish. It wasn't just for us. I, I mean, I know that individually, we all did it for ourselves, but it was for Jody. It was for his daughter Tristan, who was watching the live stream. It was for yeah. our friends and Jody's friends, and maybe people that knew us but had never seen us. So. It was it was the right thing to do. Was it was it perfect? Not at all. But I would have had serious regrets if we didn't take that opportunity. Okay, let's get on to a couple other things here. And I'm really wondering because I've never heard Eric. How did you get into Straight Edge? I mean, okay, I, I clearly go back in the hardcore scene much further than sean or yourself like i go back to being like a junior high school kid in the early 80s and so i i was aware of minor threat as early as 82 and i remember at the time being pretty interested in the idea of straight edge but at the same time also being highly aware of peer pressure or maybe i wasn't highly aware of peer pressure but i was highly susceptible to peer pressure and fitting in and doing what i thought was cool to be accepted and so 
I made a lot of bad decisions, not really bad decisions, but you know, I, I made some bad drinking decisions when I was, when I was much younger, you know, several years of hardcore, like going to hardcore shows and punk shows and metal shows. And I think it was finally like, I'd, I'd had a bad experience and I'd seen that a number of my friends were, were going down a path that I didn't think would be positive in the long run. And it certainly wasn't for some of them. Um, you know, Vancouver has always had a, a history. The punk rock scene here has had a history of involvement with drugs. Drugs have been pretty prevalent through the punk rock scene in Vancouver ever since it began. And yeah, in 1986, I just went, you know what? I'm done. I don't want to be this person and I don't want to be like these guys. I really don't want to be like these guys. And so I, I just quit not drinking. I'm not doing anything right. Like I'm, I'm just going to be, I'm just going to do what I want to do. I'm not going to be a victim of peer pressure anymore. And there was no one was straight edge in Vancouver in 86. It was Vancouver's straight edge scene was, was me. Yeah. It's like, that's pretty much it. Like, and I was straight edge and I still had my, my long fratricide hair. Um, that didn't come off until 87, but yeah, I mean, I'd been aware of straight edge for a long time and I probably was just personally too weak to, to make the, the jump. It's the same, it's the same thing with vegetarianism. Like I was aware of vegetarianism through the punk rock scene, especially through bands like conflict at a very young age. Was I vegetarian? Not until about 1989. And that's when everything, that's when everything changed. And, you know, I don't call myself straight edge today, but I'm, I'm still straight. Like how many years later, 30, 35 years later, I'm, I'm still straight. It's, it's it works for some people. It doesn't work for other people. I, I'm not vegetarian or vegan anymore. I, I lean to those options when they are available because I, in my heart, I know they are the right options and the right choices to make. But yeah, I mean, I'm in a, I'm in a different place right now. I have a different, different lifestyle. And part of that lifestyle includes spending a considerable amount of time in Japan. And there's, there's no way around it. Like seafood products are in almost everything you eat, even when you don't know you're eating them. And I think pers personally, I'm, I'm, oh, I'm sort of semi okay with the idea of eating some seafood some of the time entirely because of the fact that I could, I, I'm not um, frightened by the possibility of fending for myself and going to the sea and catching a fish and, and eating it. Whereas there's no way on earth that I'm, I'm going to, to kill a cow or a chicken or, or any other kind of, of creature. Um, yeah. I, I, I've been straight edge for a long time, but I don't really call myself straight edge anymore. I don't really know what the answer to the question is or what the question is anymore. Yeah. Like just, just awareness of it, a young, of it at a young age. And like, I knew really young, it was right for me. And I don't know why I didn't just believe in myself and do that and instead have, you know, a lot of, of bad memories of, you know, bad partying mistakes when I was young.
Um, so were you the were you the first person you know of that cl- actually claimed to be straight edge in Vancouver? Then? No, pro- I, I don't know or I don't think so. But you know, like in '86, I, I was wearing my uniform choice shirt, straight and alert, man. Like, <laughs> uh, yeah, I was all about I was all about straight edge in '86, '87, '88. I I mean, that's straight edge was everything for 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 those years. It became less so, and it's funny. Like it became less so. What, by the time strain started, like I, I was straight edge, but I, I don't necessarily think that I really wanted to be identified as straight edge. Cause I think there was a, there was a fairly negative connotation around macho. It was kind of a macho jockey thing. And that wasn't me either. Right. So I'm just going to be myself. I love Take the it. macho jockey thing. Yeah. <laughs> See, and maybe, and maybe like that's part of one of my problems with hardcore today is because when I see hardcore today, I'm just looking at it and going, why, why did the scene not progress from the kick dancing stuff that we hated in 96? Like, why is it still this like hyper violent male dominated macho thing? Like, I, I don't get it. Like these, the people that are involved in the hardcore scene are, are typically, I think their, 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 their method of thinking is, is quite different. And so the two just don't mesh with me. And I, and it's, it's really sad to see that like the kick dancing and the windmilling thing is still there because it's unbelievably selfish. Yeah. You're, you're, yeah. you're getting your aggression out, but I didn't come to a show to get hit in the face. Right. Like, it's not for me. I want to add something there. So just, I want to go back to the, sort of the, the mantra thing. When I was a kid, jock, I was a jock and, you know, I, I was aggressive. So, and then I was really extremely straight edge. So at, as a kid, that, that works out for me. As an adult, I'm not saying yes, be a macho jock in the right. person. I just want to make that clear. Uh, but I think there is like, if you're looking at the scene now, I'll reserve judgment on the dancing because I, I don't totally understand it that much either. But out of, no, oh, no, I was just about to say, like, as far as nowadays with male dominance, I think there's like a lot of females in the hardcore scene these days. There's a lot of females in, there is. Of, course, of course, there could be way more, but I think as Eric's saying, he's not really following hardcore that much i i am you know not as much as i was but definitely there's tons of female activity in hardcore and there's females dancing as hard exactly than than any guy down there so so i think that i think things are changing and things are progressing in a way that the kids are the kids like you were saying earlier eric like the kids are taking it where they want to take it and there is female involvement and there's a lot more um I, I'd say there's more tolerance in the scene for different types of people than there was probably when we were coming up. So I think things are going in the right direction. I think you're totally, totally spot on, Sean, for sure. Like, I don't get out to as many all ages shows, obviously, as I used to either or followed as close as I used to. But I mean, the shows that I have went to in the past few years, there are uh, like the DPK kids do. They're doing the all ages shows they're it's awesome it's almost going not quite back to when we first got into it like having the varied builds and different bands and stuff but there's definitely 
punk kids coming out to hardcore shows again. And as well, like you said, Sean, a lot of, a lot of women coming out and in bands, which, you know, really wasn't a thing in the, like you mentioned, right. When, you know, in the, in the heyday of you guys. Right. So no, things are definitely progressing for sure. In the, in the right, uh, going in the right direction, I think. Yeah. You can, you can just chalk it up, chalk all my comments up to, I I haven't been involved with hardcore since 2007, really. Um, Yeah. It's, it's weird. Like, like I have to say, like, it's very strange how my love affair with hardcore ended really like much more suddenly than I would have ever imagined and no one particular driver behind that i just think that yeah like 20 something years of of being involved and i mean i'd already started branching out into listening to different types of music and it just it just wasn't resonating with me the way it was when i was younger and i i I'm still, I, I still constantly search for and crave new music. It's just that it's, it's not hardcore anymore. It's still indie and it's still underground, but it's, it's, it's not hardcore. It's stylistically varied. I, I like many different types of music, just that hardcore just doesn't push those buttons for me anymore. Whereas like Neo Psychedelia, pushes my buttons, right? Like I, I'm way into shoegaze and neo-psychedelia. So I, I'm, I'm constantly searching for, for new sounds. I, I buy new music. I support new young bands, but um, just not, not hardcore anymore. It's, it's sad and happy at the same time. Oh, no, fair enough, man. Total respect, respect there, Eric. Like not everyone has the same outlook and everything like obviously you're not denying the past or anything it's just not what you're into anymore so get good name give three albums then for people listening that you're listening to right now uh well i really love this band from saint petersburg in russia they're called blankenberg and it's it's like the guitars are so thick they're these thick lush guitars and i think like people that are into hardcore they they can probably get the guitars it's it's like yeah it's shoegaze but it's like it's so it's so thick and heavy and i and i love a band from scotland called helicon and and they're doing like neo psych stuff with like a you know they have a sitar player and a and a hammond organ sometimes and uh there's a band from manchester that i really like that are called ist ist and it's like it's post-punk and the manchester influence is so noticeable like like i hear manchester in in everything they do three bands that i listen to a lot that i think are great bands right on and how about you sean still being uh currently listening to hardcore what are you listening to what are you listening to as far as hardcore uh what are some bands i like to there's not i mean i like the new change record i mean that's a good record um i like i like that be well record that came out i think that's Mm -hmm. a good record I like, uh, uh, I think it's Mind Force. Yeah, they're they're great. Yeah, uh, the band One Step Closer that I've I've checked out a little bit of. They sound cool, like Turning Pointish. Yeah, I think those are like kind of the ones that I've heard lately. I still, again, like I listen to a varied. I have a varied taste in music. To me, music yeah. is like I have to feel it, and that can be you know it can be the Killers, it could be. Uh, 
like Chelsea Wolf. It could be, it could be whatever. Like I, I listen to all sorts of things all the time, depending on yeah. my mood. So to me, it's like, there's no genre specific for me. It's just like, what, what's, you know, what, what do I feel? Like, it's like, I have to feel it. That's the, the main thing with me in music is like, it has to evoke something within me. Yeah. And uh, usually that's an emotion because I'm a damn emotional person, unfortunately. Sure. But it's got to be, it's got to be, a, it's got to be emotion and it's got to be usually dark and it's got to usually be fairly heavy um, or, you know, heavy as far as subject matter. So. Okay, cool. For sure. Spence, who I don't think you know, Sean, the co-host sometimes of the of the podcast. Eric goes back with him, uh, pen pals from the 80s, 80s, I guess. Yeah, he said to say hi, sorry he couldn't be there. He had a couple questions and he wanted to know if Kleenex was the first straight edge band in Vancouver, which I've never even heard that name. What's that about? Got a Kleenex sticker on my cab. Okay, I gotta hear <laughs> this. I have to hear about this one. I don't even remember it. So that was, I don't even know if it was a straight edge band. So I'm, I'm going to claim the first straight edge band in Vancouver as being Last Straw. Okay. The dem- demo sitting right over there. But Kleenex was, from my understanding, supposed to be, I don't know if they ever jammed. I think it was Eric, Bubba, Jinx, and maybe Kim. Okay. I know it was the first three. I don't, yeah. Me? Me? Yeah. I have no memory or I don't think I don't, of, I don't think you uh, ever pra- I don't I don't know if you ever practiced but you made I don't think we did least, which is which is half the battle in the 90s is uh the late 80s, <laughs> 80s. It it's was. probably yeah, 80s it been, yeah it was yeah it must have been I mean I know last draw was 88 89 wow. Wow. so our demo was recorded in 89 but um by Eric <laughs> yeah by Eric which is, it's terrible. It's absolutely atrocious. But, I did a terrible job. We a terrible it. job recording it. I'm going to blame it's, you because we were so good and you just butchered us. I, I did. <laughs> well, I hope, I hope you can put those out and at least hear this, let someone hear a, hear a song or, yeah, or a taste of it, Sean. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll pull out, I'll figure out how to digitize. Well, I won't figure it out. I'll find somebody. I know James, you know, you know, James, um, James cool. Cornell. Cornell, yeah, 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 yeah. So he, I don't know, he digitizes tapes. I gotta get a hold of him and see if he can digitize it. Oh, if he can't, I, I could, I'd be happy to do it for oh, you, man. Cool. I'm doing okay, that. Yeah, as, a, yeah. as a matter of fact, on the same topic, I found, and John Franco will not like this, but I found the master four tapes for Face Off nice. and Dropkick. Love, love to hear that. And yeah. they're not as bad as I remember them being. Cool. Definitely not. Cool. Definitely not. So. I will see what I, uh, I don't know a song or something out there. Maybe we could. Uh, yeah, we'll yeah, just we'll do a trade. early, yeah. early Vancouver yeah. straight edge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but yeah. Um, no, I'm really cool to say. That. And I want to publicly apologize because back then, I had thought before I knew you guys and about you guys and Keen and and Mark even. I had no idea that there had been a Vancouver straight edge band. So I thought Head First was, but then I was told they weren't. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> no. I was straight edge. None of the rest of them were. Actually, maybe when Glenn DeCruz was in the band, he was straight, but not straight edge. Do you remember Alan from Port Hells who filled in I on do. bass? Okay, Alan, Alan, t- Alan, Alan was in the band for a while. I don't know how long. He was in the second lineup, I think, of Head First. Okay. So the first. The first lineup of Head First had a bass player named Jason who was a kid from South Granville who was friends with our drummer, Eugene. So 
Eugene was in fratricide with me. Yeah. Then he started headfirst with Jinx and Gary. They brought me in. Um, partway through, either Eugene was too busy or maybe Gary and Jinx decided they wanted a more skilled drummer. They, they brought, we brought in the next lineup, which was Alan on bass and Ben on drums. I don't know how long that lineup lasted, but the definitive lineup for the band was the last lineup, which had Glenda Cruz on drums and Dan, Dan from fratricide played bass. And I mean, it's one of those, like, it's, it's a piece of, it's, it's the what could have been or what should have been banned in Vancouver or, or that I've done. Like, yeah, no real recordings exist. We, we never left. We never went further than Victoria and Seattle um, would have, could have, should have done a lot more than we did. I know that, yeah, you can find a live video of head first playing at the town pump my guitar playing is atrocious but the band was was writing good songs and and it was we were so tight with dan and glenn like killer drummer and and a skilled bass player and jinx on guitar and gary on vocals it was like it was a winning combination a little bit of a strange band because you know like we had our moments where we wanted to be the crow mags and then we wanted to be the doughboys in the next song so it's Mm -hmm. like a little bit all over the map, but yeah, I, I kind of feel like, yeah, what could have been, what, what could have been, what should have been like, we probably should have put out a record. We probably should have toured, but we never did anything. Oh, yeah, well, you got on a pretty, on a pretty um, legendary skate rock. Comp. Yeah, we did. We did. My favorite get one. On a legendary, we did get on a legendary skate rock comp with some amazing bands, underdog instead mm-hmm. brotherhood, like, the list of bands on that skate rock is awesome. And then there's us with our the party's over. Really, I love that. Song. Really, really poorly recorded two songs that were on that. Yeah. It's like, you know, you go to a recording studio in Vancouver before anybody knew what to do with hardcore. And that's what you got. You got something that just didn't sound good. And we spent money and it was a 16 track studio and it should sure. have sounded good, but it's terrible. Part of it's the band's fault. Part of it's the studio's fault, but yeah, being on that, the noise forest, I mean, that that's, that's pretty great. It's just unfortunate that we are probably the the worst band on that comp. But it was what I wanted to sort of to get at was that um, Alan had told me a story about going down to Seattle and and him as his friend Barry was with him and Gary was getting mad at him because he was drinking beer in the van and which I had no recollection that Gary was ever straight edge. So I thought that was kind of funny. But he he definitely was. He definitely was. When I first met him, I met him probably in 1984 and he's 14 and I'm a little bit older than him. And he's straight edge. But at 14, most people are straight edge. Um, Right. Right. Normal, normal people. Yeah. Then then a few years later, he met the North Delta kids. And And all that went to that. All (laughs) that went to hell. Um, (laughs) Yeah, North Delta, the North Delta kids then were all about Benel and DM. Sheltered, sheltered kid out in Cloverdale. I didn't know about any of that, that kind of <laughs> stuff. So. But anyways, what I wanted to also say, and I should mention, Eric, that um, Ed First was the real first hardcore band I saw. You guys played with Sludge at the Paramount before, a short time before the Verbal Assault Amenity show. And that, that was sound, really, that which, was, right. which was the first real hardcore show I ever saw. 
And Sean, was that one of the first? I think you, yeah, one of the first was, you'd went to. That was my first as well. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder. I, I don't know which show I I first met Jody at. I don't know if it was that show or one with Curious George there, where Bubba came came up with Jody and introduced me. Hey, Eric, this is my friend Jody. You can call him the Jookster. He loves your band. And so, like all the people you meet in your life, and I've met, you know, I can't count how many people I've met. Meeting Jody for some reason has never left my memory. I, I don't know why he was played such an important role in my life that I never forgot that because I, I I'm, I'm sorry, like Sean is a hugely important part of my life, but I don't remember my first meeting with Sean the way I remember Jody. Something about Jody and that moment, I, I, I think I even knew then that Jody was going to be, you know, a key player in my life moving forward. And that's such a long time ago. It's 88 or 89 and never forgotten it. He was, Jody was an original dude. I, I for lack of a better term, real. Yeah, very. Anyways, I want to get back to that first straight edge band thing, Sean. I want to apologize out of ignorance. Like I said, not ever knowing you guys and stuff, just asking around, claiming that Face Off was the first straight edge band in Vancouver. Uh, so we, we didn't do to... anything. That, that, that claim is, you probably, you probably were because you did something. I mean, we're, we're 14 year old idiots that are, I guess, 14 and 15. And uh, yeah, but we didn't really do anything. We did a demo. We didn't play a show. I'm going to throw something in here. I have 15% battery remaining, so I'm almost done. But I'm also going to throw in something about Straight Edge and its, its early days. And that is that in 1987, Fratricide recorded a song that was unreleased, the same recording session as the Mission of Christ split, Clean Mind, Clear Thought, which was a fully Straight Edge song. And Greg Anderson from Brotherhood sang backup vocals. Wow, that's some history I did not know. That's it's cool. it's a terrible song, but Greg Anderson does the gang vocals on it. Wow, that's right, that's that is very it is a piece of history, and I'm really surprised because I feel I played in a in a band with Dan for about a year, and we talked about in depth about fratricide and the history and stuff, and that never came up. So, little known piece fact, of history, little nugget of little Vancouver fact. history. And yeah, like, I, I go back with Greg probably to 84 and seeing false Liberty at shows in Seattle. So yeah, I mean, that's another guy. That's another guy that you could, everybody could tell stories about for, for days, right? Like totally interesting, unique individual, but I, I'll let you get to finishing this because yeah. Um, yeah, my battery is definitely toast. Okay. So is there anything else you wanted to just that maybe I didn't ask or anything that you want to, Thinking about that you forgot about, or I don't know, anything? Add anything? I'll add something to Eric's talk about um, his diet. And I'll, I'll say, anybody wants tips on going vegan, hit me up. I'm somewhat joking, but I'm not really. I have nothing but respect for the vegan diet. And while I'm not vegan, if I'm given the option, I will always take it. Yeah. No, I'm just, put, I'm just putting it out there for, for, for more perspectives. No judgment whatsoever. Life after strain. As far as I know, Sean, you're a personal trainer, and both you and Eric have gotten big and in, big into photography. What else do you guys got going on? 
How have you been doing since starting? Yeah, I'm. Yeah, I I have a a little training company that I do, a company oh. called Cadence, which is run by Aram. Am I cutting out? A little bit for yeah. a second. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I've been. Yeah, I have a training company, and I also work with. Uh, a bunch of people from the punk scene in a company called Cadence. Uh, and I've been, what else? Been, yeah, I, I had to, I haven't been doing as much photography lately in the last year d- during COVID. I've been busy with other things, but I have recently just picked up another camera and have been out with uh, with fat and, and trying to get back into shooting. So yeah, trying to get back into that. And then again, playing music. I'm playing music as much as possible and trying to write uh, as much music as I can because uh, I've got, somehow I've got a lot in me coming out right now. And I'm trying to do three bands. I'm trying to do three different bands. So hopefully there'll be, there'll definitely be a Buy Thread record recorded uh, hopefully this year. And then there's going to be uh, maybe two other projects that come into fruition. Okay. And how about you, Eric? Yeah, I mean, personally, I'm, I'm not doing music. I'm, I'm, I haven't done the radio program since 2007 or 2008. I do photography, but I'm, I'm not serious in the way that Sean is. For me, it's not so much about the result as it is about the, the meditative process of just letting everything go for that brief window of time while you look at something and position the camera and get ready to press the shutter. There's nothing else that happens in the world at that moment. So it's it's really about the process rather than the results. And it's about me getting out and and walking and and seeing the world and, and moving my body more than than taking a great photo. And, and you know, like photography has been a, a part of my life as long as the hardcore scene has been a part of my life. Like I was taking photos at punk rock shows in 83, 84, when I was a kid, right? Like bringing the camera and take, I I have photos of Scream. I have photos of TSOL. I have photos of Agent Orange, or I did have, all the negatives are lost, but you know, I I, I was at those shows. I, I took photos of those bands so many years ago. So cameras have always been around and they've always been a part of my life, a pretty important part of my life, but it's not so much about the end result as it is the process of doing. I would agree with that. I also just want to add that um, Eric introduced, I mean, me for sure to photography and I would say Jody as well. Right, Eric? Like both yeah, definitely us, we, Jody. Yeah. We both, like we all kind of got into it um, or me and Jody anyways. And I think Chris as well to a degree. So everybody in strain has a connection to photography, maybe not John, but John has a bunch of other creative things that he does. But yeah, the, uh, the three of us for sure. Uh, and mine's due to Eric. So I thank Eric for that. Uh, I, and I'm, I think the thing I'm most proud of is that I gave Sean his, his basic how to session and he very quickly became far more talented than I ever have been in my life. Yeah. It's the, the man is an outstanding talent, no matter where he puts his energy. Sean's a great guitar player, um, a great personal trainer, a great photographer. Like I can't, I can, I could endlessly praise Sean. He's he may be younger than me, but I'll always look up to him. Oh man, 
Eric, Eric's clearly not straight edge anymore because he's obviously drunk right now. <laughs> Psychedelics. No. Any last words or anything, guys? I mean, my battery's going to die, so I'm, I'm oh. just going to say thank, thanks for the time, Jason. I, it's fun going back and, and, and remembering all the stuff we did. And to be completely honest, we, we just scratched the surface. We could talk about the things we did together and the things we did with Strain for, for hours and hours and days and days. And like, I know Sean and I wouldn't get bored reminiscing, but yeah, thanks for the opportunity to, to remember and, and share some of our stories. Thank you guys. Seriously. I really, really appreciate it. And like got to ask you guys some questions I've been wondering for God years and years and years. So thank you. Yeah. And, thanks uh, so much, Jason. Right on. Right, okay, well, good, guys. To, good to see both of you guys. You guys yeah, too. Yeah, I've seen you for a while. All for right. sure, man. Okay, All hopefully right. we'll see you guys okay. soon. Take care, guys. Yeah. Good night. Thanks again. Hippie Bye. style. Peace out. <laughs> Best. Take it easy, guys. Bye-bye. See ya. Ignore all that you see Can you take your mind
like to thank everyone once again for tuning into the podcast and listening in. We really hope you enjoy what you're hearing on here. If you want to support us, please help us out. Please subscribe to the podcast on your plat- listening platform. We also have an Instagram and a Facebook page. Please help us spread the word so we can keep this going. We'd really appreciate it. Also, please keep your eyes open for Strain Part 2 with guitar player John Franco and drummer Chris Walker. Just around the bend. Thanks again, everyone.